the blue blur has returned, and this time, he's going off the rails. Sonic Frontiers is Mr. the Hedgehog's first venture into an open-world formula, but it brings a lot of that patented Sonic baggage with it. Is this the future for Sonic, or is it just another failure that we'll all try and forget about? Until Sonic fans decide it's actually good in about 10 years. I'm Jordan, and here to help me explore the Starfall Islands are my brothers. I'm Jason. And I'm Jackson. And now, let's get into it. Put a lot of words that were hard to say in the orders they were in. <laughs> but is this the Peter Piper that picked the peckers? <laughs> Darn it! <laughs> <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog. This is a storied series, which we have discussed at length on two previous episodes. Technically three if you count us talking about this game prior to its release two episodes ago. We've done more Sonic episodes this year than there have been Sonic games this decade, I'm pretty sure. We we talk about Sonic a lot, because there's a lot to talk about. Mostly bad stuff. Generally speaking, yes. Which I guess is a good jumping off point for us to sort of reiterate our experiences with Sonic. Because, as I've said on previous episodes, I love Sonic the character. I do not like Sonic the video game very much. There have only been, like, three truly good Sonic games, in my opinion. I mean, I like the older 2D ones, and stuff like the the DS ones. I think it was Sonic Rush. Yeah. I liked Sonic Ru- I liked Sonic Advance. Those games were all pretty good. Generally when Sonic's in 2D, he's at his best. I liked Sonic and Mario at the Winter Olympics. Jackson, you really haven't played much Sonic like oh, in no, any capacity, no. have you? I played Sonic Origins when we reviewed that. I had Sonic 06 for the 360 in 2012. <laughs> Don't remember any of that at all except one specific time when Jason was randomly playing it with me. That's the only memory I have of that game. Yeah, I've heard actually that Sonic 06, there's like a fan patch that's still being worked on called like a Project 06 or something similar that actually makes it really good. Uh, and the thing that they discovered while they were working on it is that the level design in Sonic 06 is very good. Maybe some of the best in the 3D Sonic games. It's just how incredibly broken. <laughs> The game was that made it bad. But mostly, I have played Sonic Adventure 2, which is, even though I mostly only remember the first level and the final level, uh, core memories of my childhood. I mean, I would say City Escape is probably the best Sonic content of all time. City Escape is one of the best pieces of video game content of all time. (laughs) Get your facts straight. Even as someone that hasn't cared for really any other 3D Sonic game, Sonic Adventure 2 is a certified masterpiece, and no one will convince me otherwise. It's the Chow Garden that does it. Yeah, the Chow Garden is just so good. It's the it's it's just like um, with Persona, you know how people are always talking like you know the visual novel parts or the the day to day life parts kind of break up the monotony of the dungeons and vice versa. The Chow yeah. Garden breaks up whatever the main story is in Sonic Adventure 2. Man, you just yeah. reminded me. I need to stop playing uh, Sonic Frontiers and go play uh, Persona 5. Yeah, that's that's the moral of the story, folks. Go play Persona 5. <laughs> but anyways, 
You got Jason, who's a real big Sonic fan, comparatively. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, uh, I would very much like to put a, uh, a pin uh, on an that. Asterisk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, got, you got me that has played a lot of Sonic, but hasn't enjoyed very much of it. And then you got Jackson, who is basically a Sonic novice. I like the movies. With that information, Jackson, how are you feeling about Sonic Frontiers? I... I'm not hating it, but I'm also not enjoying it. Um, <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is... Well, you know what? I think we should go ahead with that statement and lay down some very important context. Sonic Frontiers, for those that don't know, dropped one day before God of War Ragnarok. Yeah. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about God of War Ragnarok, but it is important to note that anytime we're playing Sonic Frontiers is kind of tainted by the knowledge that we could instead be playing God of War Ragnarok. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have only played four hours of Sonic Frontiers. I have played 10 hours of God of War Ragnarok, and Sonic Frontiers have been out a full day longer. I mean, also keep in mind, we generally record episodes at least a week after the game releases, where we are recording this episode four days Yeah, this Sonic. may be the least amount of time we've had between episodes this year, or between when yeah. the game came out and recording the episode. But I don't, I don't hate the game. I think there is a lot of interesting stuff here so far. There are just some major gripes I have with it, and the biggest, yeah. the biggest being it came out a day before God of War Ragnarok. Jason, how you feeling so far? I like it generally. I, I would probably put it top five 3D Sonic games. <laughs> I, I personally really like both Sonic Adventure games. <laughs> so my my list is probably something like. Sonic Adventure 2, Sonic Adventure 1, Sonic Generations, and then this. And I'll save the fifth one for a little secret. <laughs> yeah, that's the clickbait. Uh, you find out what Jason's fifth favorite Sonic <laughs> game is in the post credit scene. <laughs> My fifth favorite 3D Sonic game. Oh, 3D Sonic game. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Number five will shock you. I've liked Sonic Frontiers a lot more than I expected to, if I'm being honest. That's not to say it's excellent by any means, but as someone that has just outright hated the last couple of Sonic games I've played, I've been pleasantly surprised in that I have at the very least enjoyed the time I have spent with it, even if I don't necessarily feel compelled to spend any more with it. Uh, yeah, I can definitely agree with that. This is definitely the right direction for Sonic to be moving in. Yeah, that's the biggest thing I've thought while playing this. Like, there's a lot of stuff that it sets up that is very good for the future of the Sonic franchise that I think could elevate it to being popular again <laughs> and not just a sort of cult thing. But they obviously are taking first steps with it. I think Sonic Frontiers 2 will be incredible. There's just <laughs> some big things that they're going to need to figure out Chiefly yeah. among those being level design or world design. <laughs> Finding some way to marry the interesting things they want to do with like challenges and, you know, cool tricks for Sonic to do yeah. uh, with actually making sense in the environment that it's in. I think one <laughs> of the sure. biggest problems I've noticed is in an attempt to make a sort of Breath of the Wild style open uh, world game they have strayed away from very important Sonic stuff. One of my biggest gripes with the game is the art direction. Everything looks real. It looks like a real world, and I don't 
Like, I know I don't have much experience with the Sonic games, but I just feel like that doesn't make sense. I feel like Sonic should look more cartoonish or anime-ish. It's very muted in a way that seems like it's in direct conflict with what Sonic is. Sonic's art style should be, like, a little crazy and a little over the top, but this is bland, boring. Like, the first world is basically just a grassland. I don't even necessarily think it's anything with... the design of the world it, it all really comes down to the color palette for some yeah, reason everything is, is super muted. muted which is super strange because you know like all of the main characters are bright sonic blue basically primary colors yeah sonic is bright yeah. blue tails is bright yellow knuckles bright red amy bright pink and then the background is brown green and brown yeah. gray yeah. and it, <laughs> it's just very ugly looking at the end of the day yeah there's also a very unfortunate thing they've done with the tone of the game story-wise to sort of match that. I don't even really know how to describe it. They made everything kind of depressing, <laughs> both in terms of the way the game looks, but they also really brought down the characters a lot to match that in a way. The character interactions are interesting because you see more of the characters than you have in previous games, but so many of their conversations are so just totally dull. They're just repeating what the main plot of the game is over and over again to each other, and then being like, we shouldn't be sad all the time just because things are bad. And then Sonic's friend is like, you're right, Sonic. I'm going to be happy now. And then like the next time you talk to them... It's back to, things sure are bad here, and I'm sad about it. It's so not Sonic. But that being said, a lot of this game is very Sonic. (laughs) Yeah. There are rails everywhere. (laughs) There are tons of place to run around. That's the biggest thing that I think this game nails, is really giving you a sense of Sonic speed. Yeah, for sure. Because in most games, you have those linear levels that... As Jordan has pointed out every time we talk about 2D Sonic, especially, uh, yeah, disincentivize going quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, they want you to kind of take your time and go slowly to a point. To take in the level. Yeah. And this game actually, with the, they keep calling it open zone instead of open world. It, I don't know. I, the game is basically divided into five separate islands, which each one's pretty big like they take several minutes to get from one like one corner to another corner uh and sometimes significantly longer because it'll have like winding pathways that you have to take and no like clear ways to get out of the canyon i got Mm, stuck in a canyon for quite a while (laughs) (laughs) in the second level it was really annoying when you're outside of those canyons sonic can just run for basically as long as you want it it is fun and it actually kind of captures what People associate with Sonic, which is just going fast. Uh, I think I said, like, I was more excited for the cyberspace missions because they look more like Sonic art style. But the open world is honestly a lot more fun because you can just go fast. You can go so fast that sometimes I just will keep myself from hitting max coins because it just sometimes just makes it a little hard to play. But honestly, I like that because it gets a little ridiculous. I think that's probably a good a good spot to sort of step back and talk about the game on at a broader sense 
So this game is really split into three very distinct parts, at least in my mind. They're not equal parts, but you do essentially three different things. The two, the two main ones are just your open world exploration. That's running around, hitting grind rails and jump pads and running on walls and doing all sorts of crazy maneuvers and fighting enemies to get collectibles, which you use to progress the story. That's the biggest part of the game. The second is what are called the cyberspace missions. These are essentially your classic Sonic levels. Half of them are 2D, half of them are 3D. Well, probably more like 70% of them are 2D and 30% are 3D, but, but whatever. They play more like traditional Sonic levels. You have a fixed A to B route, or routes, plural, and you just try to get through it as fast as you can, or you're looking for red coins, or stuff like that. Just very, very normal Sonic level stuff. And then the third thing are your sort of story missions, which is basically your companion for that island asks you to do some random task. Those are all over the place. Sometimes they're more generic Sonic stuff. Sometimes they are hurting these little alien creatures called Cocos. Sometimes you're playing a claw machine. Sometimes it's pinball. It's a little bit of everything. So those are sort of the three core tenets of the game and they're interwoven with each other in terms of how you progress the story like you have to do all three to progress the story so i think we could probably look at each of those three individually a little bit to sort of give a a broader sense of where the game does it right and very much does it wrong <laughs> so yeah. the open world i think we've already established is cooler than expected like i was i was in the same camp as jackson i expected the linear stuff to be decent and the open world to kind of suck but it's very much the opposite like i think that the open world stuff just running around going fast hitting jump pads and grind rails and running up walls way more fun than i expected it to be even if it's not always super rewarding is that y'all's experience as well definitely yeah <laughs> yeah i can agree with that uh i think that something it does really well during the open world portion is keeping the action going constantly for sure mm -hmm. You never go more than a few seconds without doing something. It, basically, all throughout the map, there are... I mean, I guess the easiest way to describe it is there are icons all over the map. And when you arrive there, usually there's like a small obstacle course that you need to get through. It kind of blends the style of the 2D levels with the 3D levels in a way. Like Sometimes the challenges will have you switching between perspectives while you're doing them. Uh, and then other times it'll be drawing a circle, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is yeah, yeah. fun and interesting in combat, but I do feel like it's way overused in a lot of the open world exploration stuff. For sure. A big complaint that I had seeing all like the early previews and stuff was the fact that there's just random like rails and platforms just in the sky and everywhere. And I thought it just looked stupid, but after playing with it, like because that's everywhere, you are constantly doing stuff, which I think is what is probably the strong suit of this game, even though I have already said that it gets boring at times, but that just may be due to the fact that I could be playing God of War instead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think the complaint is necessarily how much stuff is like littered around. It's the fact that it's not worked into the environmental design very right. much. Yeah, For sure. it doesn't look like it should be there. Yeah, like especially, I think the second world tends to do it the best because like there is that canyon system that i mentioned and then there's like some underground ruins that have missions for you to do and the stuff fits in a lot better there because it's 
Right. The ruins are the same style, essentially, as this stuff that's just floating all over the place. And then on one of the corners of the map, there's like some giant rings. And I, I feel like that's kind of, at least from what I've seen so far, I feel like that was the best level design, or at least the best map design in the open world that I've seen so far. Is yeah. just, it's a bunch of ruins that are floating, and there are giant rings kind of bisecting it every once in a while. And it actually looks really intentional. Uh, and then there are other areas where there is just a random floating platform in the middle of a field. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. you won't see that platform for a while because this game has insanely bad popping. <laughs> yeah, yep, it's that was my next point is I don't even think it being just littered with nonsense would be that bad if as long as that was the visual style they were going for. But the problem is it looks totally barren because the the draw distance and pop-ins are horrible. You you will literally not see obstacles in your way until they are 20 feet away. Yeah. And you're going so fast sometimes you will just straight up miss stuff because it's popping in so late. It's pretty bad. Which it led me to think, which I know that's not a bug issue, but it led me to think this game would be buggy. But so far, I haven't seen any bugs at all. Have you guys seen any? Nothing Nothing significant. No. Yeah. But by and large, open world was better than I ever expected it to be. Those linear levels, the cyberspace missions, they're at best fine and at worst just downright frustrating. I do have a little bit of a gripe with the the cyberspace levels. All of the Sonic games have just been all about nostalgia for previous Sonic games for a little bit too long. But the cyberspace levels are all based on one of four themes, those being Green Hill Zone from Sonic 1, Chemical Plant Zone from Sonic 2, Sky Sanctuary Zone from Sonic 3 and Knuckles, and then just City. It's kind of generic. It's loosely based (laughs) on like City Escape and Radical Highway from Sonic Adventure 2. And then it's also kind of based on like Speed Highway from Sonic Adventure 1. But my complaint is that like, all of these cyberspace levels are just kind of cashing in on the nostalgia from previous Sonic games, which is fine to do every once in a while, but when it's all you've been doing for a decade, it gets a little old. I'd like to see, you know, some more unique takes on 2D Sonic levels is more or less what I'm saying. I, I'd like to see 2D Sonic be able to let you be faster. That's That's been my biggest gripe with going into the cyberspace levels is that you can't be as fast as you can in the open world. I nah, I would disagree. I think that the cyberspace levels are a nice change of pace generally. I don't really like being able to boost in the 2D Sonic levels. Or, it, I mean, just in cyberspace levels in general. I think the boosting kind of takes you out of it a little bit. <laughs> See, I really like the boosting, but I also recognize I am not very good at 2d sonic games yeah where i think the boost is sort of a way to lower the skill floor on sonic games <laughs> it's better in but, the 3d levels i would say but the 2d yeah. levels it kind of makes platforming weird because sometimes you'll fly away further than you want to do and then i think the jump is very strange i think my only real complaints about the the cyberspace levels is that one they reuse too much like yeah, you said, sure. there's only the four different there's only the four different styles of level, but even within those, they reuse a lot of the same architecture and level layouts and stuff between them. Well, even just too much. Beyond that, a lot and, of the level layouts are based on 
events from previous Sonic games. Like, there's right. a city level that's based on City Escape. There's a Sky Sanctuary level that is basically... I mean, it's at least conceptually similar to the big Sky Sanctuary level in Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Yeah, It's like, do something new and interesting with those set pieces instead of just making me run around a tower while the platform falls down. <laughs> yeah, it's partially that that I dislike, but it's also partially... There's a very weird... I don't even know how to describe it. There is a big divide in difficulty and length of these levels. Some of them are incredibly difficult and incredibly long, and then other ones are very easy and very short, but not in a, in a naturally occurring pattern. Yeah, it's not like... There are seven cyberspace levels generally per per island, and it's not like one is really easy and seven is really difficult. For example, on the first island, I had to try each of them at least a second time to get all four of the objectives. But on the second island, for some reason... Like two, three, two, four, and two, five. I beat them and got all four objectives on the first try on all of those. And then like two, six, I had to attempt it 10 times. I, I don't know. It's just, there's not a lot of rhyme or reason to it. I just wish that they had kind of gone more for the Sonic Mania approach to the 2D levels because I think that that momentum based platforming that like the original Sonic games had is so much more satisfying than the 2D levels in Modern Sonic. And playing Origins just a few months ago reminded me like how good some of those levels in Sonic 2 and 3 can feel just because like they really take advantage of every move in Sonic's arsenal and it it really incentivizes maintaining speed, especially in Sonic 3. At least in certain parts. <laughs> then there's parts like the Carnival Zone, which I hate. Uh Well, every Sonic game has that one world that's just terrible. <laughs> The, the last sort of segment of Sonic Frontiers are these story missions, character missions. I've heard them called a couple different things. But basically, these are specific requests. Each, each island has one companion, and these are specific requests that come from that companion. And I don't know about you all, but boy howdy, these were bad every time. Every time I would approach an NPC to talk to them, I was just hoping, like, please just talk to me. Do not ask me to do anything. I, I thought it was weird. One thing I got to mention here is just that every time you go and talk to one of your companions, it's just standing around, which, like, I feel like the cutscenes in most of the older Sonic games were usually pretty visually interesting. It would have stuff like Sonic jumping from enemy to enemy and, like, explosions happening all over the place while robots are getting destroyed. In this game, most of the cutscenes are just two people standing three feet apart and having a discussion. It's just, I mean, first rule, full, uh, I don't know if it's first rule. It's just basic filmmaking, you know, like have your characters be doing something interesting, especially if they're not going to be doing something interesting in the scene, you know? Like if yeah. your characters aren't fighting or doing something like that, give them something to do with their hands because it is so boring to watch people just stand and talk. Sonic and Knuckles would never talk to each other and just stand there. You know they would be running or fighting or something. And they're it's... always talking about doing those things too. Right. Yeah. We needed like scenes like the uh that like hallway run scene in a uh, Sonic Adventure 2. Absolutely. Sonic Adventure 2 did this inc incredibly well. Even the Sonic and Shadow scene where they're weird standoffs in the city and in the forest 
at least there's still like stuff going on around them and they are reacting to what has just happened in some capacity. In this game, when Sonic is talking to Amy or Knuckles or Tails, they are legitimately just standing or sitting still talking to each other. Then the cutscene ends and you go and talk to them somewhere else. I mean, honestly, that's not even just a problem with the Sonic game. That's an issue that like any game in the past few years has struggled with like i mean this is once again probably an issue that's exacerbated by playing god of war (laughs) yeah yeah take the most recent assassin's creed games for example all you do in those when you talk to people is just stand around even ghost of tsushima which was one of the like best games of 2020 you're just standing around to talk to people most of the time i do think it's a weirdly common problem now where so much development time is going into the gameplay because gameplay is so much more dynamic and complex universally than it used to be that cutscenes have kind of fallen to the wayside. And that might be a couple of different things. I would assume it's probably the fact that a lot of games competition are like free-to-play battle royale type games, which are just gameplay and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But I feel like there's a lot of reasons that cutscenes and games have kind of gotten stale over the last couple of years. And then you have your gods of war that are not that, (laughs) that make it look that much worse. (laughs) Yeah. Like the only time people stand around in God of War is generally because they're watching someone else do something. (laughs) Right. Right. But you know, we're getting way off track. Yeah. 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 I think (laughs) the thing you wanted to talk about was like the mini games that you get when you talk to these characters a lot of the time. Right. So almost every story mission is either go talk to this person, collect more of this item, or get a Chaos Emerald. And you have a bunch of systems that interlock to do those things. But every time you go talk to a person, there's about a one in three chance that they're going to say, hey, I need you to play this minigame for me. <laughs> and, and they're all terrible. Every, every one of them is bad. My, I think my least favorite one is this recurring thing where you have to herd these little guys called Cocos like sheep. You have to just run behind them and get them to move towards your partner. And sometimes they drop bombs. And that's the only thing yeah. that makes it difficult is that sometimes they drop bombs. Well, I did one of those earlier and it really annoyed me because you're confined to a very small space. Yes. Like, not like there's like any sort of like visual uh, thing stopping you from going past a certain point. You just hit an invisible wall at some point And like- Every one of them is like this. Yeah. Every one and of like, these missions is like that. And when I got to that point, it was like at a part where I needed to go farther than the game would let me to be able to hurt the sheep. The yeah, sheep. it's- Or not the sheep, just the, whatever the things are called. Yeah, it. all of them are- boring and bad or they have some weird concept yeah like it'll tell you to kill a bunch of random enemies but it'll be like you can't dodge (laughs) it's like i'm not dodging anyway (laughs) why why would i dodge there's a parry there's this also one really annoying one that is just like kill these four enemies also we've disabled two of your moves also, you have a very tight time limit, and the way we taught you to fight these enemies isn't fast enough to do this. And you're just supposed to intuit that you now fight them a different way than you were previously taught. It's just... 
It's like it's something you might have picked up if those enemies were more common, but right. they're just not. Like you, yeah. The only time I fought them was in the story, and then maybe once while I was exploring the open world. But yeah. you also only fight one when you run into them normally. <laughs> yeah. So it's you just, can use, like, the, they teach you in the very beginning, the way you fight this enemy is by running in circles around it to destroy all the platforms that it's on and then attacking its head. But then in this level, the way you need to do it, because you don't have enough time, is run up it and hit it in the head. <laughs> yeah, which I didn't even know you could run up it before that point. <laughs> I've learned quickly um, that this game gets trivial very quickly because there is a attack you can get pretty early on where you jump up in the air and do like a bunch of kicks and you can basically just use that on any enemy and not have to do anything we haven't really talked about the new combat system in this game where sonic doesn't just use his homing attack anymore he has like punches and kicks and special abilities that he can use is there a homing attack at all yeah. Yeah. Anytime no you way. press square, generally oh, it's a yeah, homing duh. attack. Assuming you're playing on PlayStation. The true it home is, of Sonic. It is weird speaking of that. So the symbol it shows is a triangle. Like, yeah. So I spent a long time trying to figure out why I could not do the homing attack. I assume it's just the same symbol on all consoles, but it is very confusing on PlayStation where one yeah. of the PlayStation buttons pops up and you hit a different one. Um, they just get it. The combat, I mean, it's Not more interesting bad. than just doing the homing attacks. It is just kind of spamming the same buttons and occasionally holding the shoulder buttons so you can do a parry. Yeah. I don't really bother doing too much more than that. There, like, there are some abilities that are pretty good, ex especially in moderation. Like, You get one where if you hold the attack button, you'll do like a big circle of damage around you. And that does generally a little bit more than just spamming the attack button normally yeah but you also have a parry that does an insane amount of damage one of my favorite parts about this new combat system is it wants to throw all these moves at you but they also understand that some of them are nonsense or the way you activate them is too specific so there is straight up a skill you can buy in this game skill tree that is automate abilities do it for me. Yeah, it literally just means you can mash the attack button and it will just do your special attacks and your ranged attacks and your other stuff for you periodically. I think that this is still a better direction than just the homing attack, which I don't yeah. think would have worked in this type of game, but it needs a lot of work. It, it needs to, one, be a lot tighter, and two, needs to be a lot more... What's the word? It needs the abilities need to be useful in more situations because currently there is just a right ability for each situation mm -hmm. or the way you fight an enemy is just mashing attack buttons and then you can just use whatever because they're all pretty much equally viable or so. the way you fight an enemy is by drawing a circle around it right which I actually didn't mind the drawing circle thing in combat like I think it was I think that's actually kind of a cool way to incorporate Sonic's speed into how he fights. Yeah, I, I wish there was overused. a little bit more control over how fast Sonic goes. Or I wish that he would like slow way down when you're in combat. Yeah. Um, because Jackson's kind of alluded to it previously, but once you collect the max number of rings, because um, Sonic has like a ring capacity now instead of just being able to 
hold as many as he wants or they disappear after a certain amount and turn into lives. But um, once you hit that amount, you basically go into like a super speed mode where you travel, you run significantly faster. Uh, yeah, it gets like hard to control at some points. Yeah, when you're in combat, it's kind of difficult to draw circles around individual enemies. It kind of makes up for that because another thing that gets automated is you get an ability that'll just automatically draw a circle around an enemy for you. But I feel like his, Sonic's walking speed is a little too slow, and his running speed can be way too fast. It, <laughs> yeah. There's not a really good balance for combat. I think it's something that if they tweaked it a little bit, as I said earlier, it's something that'll be really good in Sonic Frontiers 2. Which the Pro- Sonic Frontiers 2 probably won't happen. It'll probably be called like Sonic Federation or something, and it'll be 100% different from the ground up. <laughs> Sonic Federation Force, you play as some generic other guys that are similar, but legally distinct from Sonic. <laughs> yeah, that is the evolution of Sonic I'm looking forward to when it becomes a shooter. So one thing we've kind of, we've touched on a couple times but we haven't really gotten into is the actual story of the game, which is... It's wild. Yeah, it's on the weirder end, but not for the normal reasons that Sonic games are. The whole, like, it starts very generic Sonic. Tails invents something that's tracking the Chaos Emeralds and it brings them to these islands. But as they approach, they're pulled into a digital world of sorts and only Sonic escapes. But his friends kind of halfway exist in the digital world and halfway in the physical world. Then there's an AI that's either causing it and or trying to stop it and is either a bad guy or a good guy sometimes in the end. Both, maybe, I don't know. I haven't finished the game. It's just, it's one, very weird conceptually, but two, it has this very dire and serious tone to it the entire time. And not in the normal over-the-top way that Sonic games do. Not like weird quotes about the fragility of life and war like Sonic Forces. Just like sad all the time. I want to go back to Sonic Adventure Story so bad. Sonic Adventure 2 is the perfect Sonic story. Eggman blows up the moon. (laughs) Just cause. Like, it's... That was the exact right stakes and general vibe for Sonic. And yeah, I recognize it wouldn't fit as well in 2022, but it would still be better than this, which is just boring and weirdly somber and... I don't know. I just don't get what they were going for here. My favorite part about the story is how little you can engage with it and still move on. (laughs) Yeah, especially like just the normal conversations that you have with characters. A lot of them you can just straight up skip because they're, if you look at the map, sometimes they're like just heads for characters uh, where it's like, you can go here and have a conversation with Knuckles. And I'm like, no. (laughs) I wasn't listening when I had to talk to Knuckles. Why am I going to go seek him out? Some of them are insane, too, and not in a good way. There is one where you can approach Sage. You can approach her on the map and talk to her, and it costs a whole bunch of these emblems that you have to use to unlock these conversations, which is a very weird thing to make me pay for. But you have to unlock these conversations, and it costs a weirdly large number to have this one conversation with Sage. And I got enough and talked to her, 
And here's the conversation. Sonic approaches her and says, hey, what if you didn't try to hurt my friends? And she says, no. And he says, okay, that's it. That's the conversation. Yeah, Sonic is weirdly chill with the sage, um, (laughs) who makes it very clear that she sees Sonic as an enemy to be destroyed. And she's like, I'm not going to help you. I don't like you. I want to kill you. Um, (laughs) But then Sonic's just like, all right, yeah, that's fine. Keep keep on keeping on. And then yeah. he, he eats a chili dog and runs away. <laughs> it's a it's been a recurring trend in all 3D Sonic games pretty much since the GameCube PlayStation 2 era that they're almost afraid of the things that make Sonic cool and fun and ridiculous and they're like no, we need to tell a serious story for serious people that want to play a game about a talking blue hedgehog. Sonic thrives in melodrama. <laughs> that's that's something that they refuse to accept. That's the tweet. <laughs> They're like, there needs to be some kind of extra-dimensional force that's threatening the, the entire universe that Sonic needs to stop. And it's like, no, I'm completely fine just stopping Eggman from taking over a space station so he can blow up the moon. That is Sonic. (laughs) Okay, I have the perfect idea for the plot of the next Sonic game. So Tails makes the ultimate chili dog recipe, but Eggman steals it, and the game is about Sonic getting it back. That would be ten times better than what they do in this game. That would be the best (laughs) Sonic game ever. (laughs) Well, no, so you start with that. But then you slip in the extra-dimensional terror that's going to destroy the universe. <laughs> right. But you don't you don't mention that until the third act. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing to even hint at that until the third act. I think a big yeah. problem is just like I think the the creators of the Sonic con or the Sonic comics own a lot of what like people associate with Sonic. So like there's the stuff that was in the Sonic cartoon and the stuff that was in the Sonic comics where Sonic is like a clearly defined character who is uh, 90s cool and he loves eating chili dogs and sometimes he sleeps with his best friend's girlfriend (laughs) who is actually a a murderous robot from an alternate dimension and also there's a giant elephant with interdimensional powers that helps him out but sometimes Tails gets those powers instead and he becomes super jacked. (laughs) But anyways... Since that's the ownership of that stuff is so crazy, they can't put it in the games. And that's the sole reason. I wish they would, though. Yeah. Sonic Generations at least mentioned Chili Dogs. That was Tails' birthday present to him. Since it was his 30th birthday, or 30th anniversary, <laughs> uh, Tails gives him a Chili Dog with a bow on it. So one thing that's worth mentioning, because it's kind of confusing <laughs> conceptually, is this time... You can upgrade Sonic, which is not something that I know. I don't think has been in any 3D Sonic game, at least not in forms of a traditional skill tree and like stats and stuff. Sonic and the Dark uh, Brotherhood, checkmate. Oh yeah, I guess there. I guess that Sonic and the Secret Rings was also in that, but it was a very different type of game in general. But basically, as you collect certain items and as you beat enemies and do all the normal Sonic things. You get specific items that can be used to upgrade your strength, defense, speed, and ring capacity. 
Did you all mess with that too much at all? Because I found myself largely ignoring it. <laughs> I upgraded speed quite a bit. Oh, and I, I would talk to the guy because um, when you're doing missions in the open world, I think the map tells you ahead of time, but for the most part, I was just encountering stuff and doing it. So I ended up with quite a few of the seeds. They're like blue and red seeds that determine yeah. whether you'll get an attack bonus or a defense bonus. For the most part, I would just go talk to the guy that would give you the attack and defense upgrades every once in a while. Uh, yeah. And then any time that I thought I had enough of the Cocos that you can collect, like they're like little guys, kind of similar to the Koroks from uh, Breath of the Wild. I like just leaving it as they're just little guys. Yeah, <laughs> they're little guys. <laughs> they're little guys. Uh, you can upgrade your speed or your ring capacity. Which I think upgrading your ring capacity is bad. It gives It's more health. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you get more health for the trade-off of not being able to reach max speed as much. Yeah, it's kind of a, it is sort of a weird trade. Yeah, I feel like I only ever got to the max ring capacity when I was doing it intentionally. Makes sense. Uh, so it, I don't I don't know that it really matters, but I just preferred buying the speed upgrades because when you don't have that max ring capacity, I feel like Sonic is a little slow in the beginning. Yeah. Once you get a speed up to like 15, 20, much better. I'm interested to see what 99 speed looks like. I don't mind there being upgrades like this. I wish they were integrated a little more seamlessly. It felt like going out of your way to talk to the people for the upgrades was just unnecessary. And specifically, the one that can upgrade ring capacity and speed requires having an incredibly long conversation with them to upgrade it multiple times. And it just kind of took away from the otherwise pretty solid pace of the game the more confusing aspect in my mind is the actual skill tree which i guess is mostly just your alternate attacks but i did i never really got a feel for why certain things were giving xp and others weren't and like i would be playing for an hour and look down and only leveled up once and then I'd play for another hour and look down and I had leveled up literally 20 sometimes. So I couldn't really get my bearings with what was actually progressing that over other things. Sometimes when you run into like the treasure chest uh, icons that you run a circle around, sometimes that'll give you experience. Anytime you fight an enemy gives you experience. Uh, I think you can do like tricks in the air sometimes that'll give you experience. Yeah. But... If you're not doing tricks, you could probably go quite a while without getting any experience. Yeah. Especially if you're just like going around trying to unlock new parts of the map or getting the memory tokens so you can continue the story. Also, I do need to reiterate, one of the nodes on the skill tree is just automate combat, which is just very <laughs> funny to me. <laughs> the amount of self-awareness the development team had to have to know that's something they should incorporate is truly wild. So I think the, the last thing we should really get into, that, that I know of at least, is that the game has boss battles at the end of every island, and they are... Not great. Yeah, Not great. something. Well, I guess before that, there are there are large enemies that kind of litter the map uh, that you have to fight so you can do the cyberspace levels. Yeah. They're called Titans, I think, or maybe the final bosses the at the end of each island is a Titan. Yeah. Okay. But they're basically just giant robots uh, that 
generally there's a little bit of platforming and a little bit of combat built into fighting them. What kind of bothers me about them is that some of them take way longer to fight, but you don't get anything extra once you beat them. There's one that's a shark, and it'll just like dive into the sand and make you do quick time events for two to three minutes straight. And then there are other ones like uh, the ninja, which you can take out in one combo. Right. And they, they both give you one gear. The bosses that take five minutes and the ones that you kill in one move give you the exact same resources in the exact same quantities. I just learned to ignore the the especially long to kill ones because there was no advantage. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like you need extra gears. As far as I've seen, maybe I missed it, but you need the gears to go into cyberspace, but it generally takes one maybe two gears to unlock a level in cyberspace. And there are a lot more enemies to fight in the world than that. Plus, sometimes I think you can get gears and keys just from doing like the treasure chest icons that you run circles around. That one's just kind of a catch-all. It's probably my least favorite thing to do in the open world. But it's so quick that I feel like I have to do it whenever I see one. Yeah. There's also just this recurring thing of Every resource you need in the game, they give you tons and tons and tons of ways to get them, which is cool because it means you're not forced to just go to these specific locations and do these specific things. But it also means you're just sitting on, for example, you need these keys to unlock the Chaos Emeralds, which you get from cyberspace and from killing certain enemies. And on the first world, I just have 30-some keys that I don't think there is literally any use for. But I also just keep getting them. Like, I'm assuming if I went back to the first world and fought more enemies, I would just keep finding more. So, I don't know. You can't even convert them to some other useful thing. You're just, you just have them. It's just extra keys. Yeah. In case you get locked out. Yeah. But, as we mentioned, like, the, those keys, those help you to unlock the Chaos Emeralds. Sometimes you get Chaos Emeralds from doing those character missions that we mentioned earlier. Uh, And then once you get all seven Chaos Emeralds, at the end of each island, there is a Titan, which is basically just a giant version, an even bigger giant robot. Yeah. Uh, And this one you fight as Supersonic. Uh, And it's something. The music choices are interesting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not Sonic music, but it's not not Sonic music. When it's when the person isn't screaming, it's Sonic music. When yeah, the person is yeah. screaming, I'm like, this tonally is strange. Yeah, who is this for? I just, I don't know. I feel like that's been a really common question I've asked myself a lot with every game we've talked about lately is, who is this for? And the answer is almost always, I have no idea. <laughs> Supersonic works the same way that he always does. Sonic is invincible. Most of the time. (laughs) While he's in supersonic form, but you're constantly losing rings, and if you run out of rings, he'll revert back to normal. This is fine in the first boss. The first boss was kind of just wait around and use the parry. The second boss is a little bit more interesting. It's a dragon that you, like, follow around (laughs) through the air, like you're flying the whole time. I mean, you're flying in both, but there's, like, a little bit of platforming to it, a little bit of parrying attacks it was interesting it was definitely much better than the first boss fight 
So I, I'm hoping that the boss fights going forward will continue to get better. It's just... It's uh, strange. I, like, I hear this said too much in video game critiques where it's almost a cliche at this point, but it feels like Sonic Frontiers is a good proof of concept. It's just that I wouldn't even say I'm expecting a sequel to be that good because I don't think that they'll keep the good stuff. I think they'll just do something entirely different again. And I I don't know. I think that this shows a lot of promise that I just I would be shocked if we see actually acted upon. <laughs> yeah. I I can definitely understand feeling like that. I will say this is directed by the same guy that directed Sonic Forces, and for the most part I think it takes what worked about Sonic Forces and fix the things that didn't. Spoiler alert, Sonic Forces is my fifth favorite Sonic game. Ah. <laughs> because it's terrible. I was sitting on the edge of my seat for that one. It's such a bad game. But the things that really make it bad is like, it's incredibly automated. There are some levels in that game where like even the longest levels are only five minutes long. Maybe. But sometimes in a five minute level, you only even control Sonic like actually control him for like two minutes, maybe three. <laughs> yeah. It's just, there's so much automation where the game plays itself. And I feel like this game gets rid of almost all of that until you're in a boss fight. <laughs> the boss fights are definitely doing a lot of the hard work for you. <laughs> there's also a point during that boss where it fires a bunch of missiles at you. And then there's a quick time event that I don't know was in the game prior to that. And if you fail that quick time event, you instantly lose and have to start the boss fight over from before you were supersonic. Like you have to collect the seventh uh, the seventh chaos emeralds again. This is really funny, actually. The way that you dodge missiles is the fishing mini game. <laughs> so it's the same thing you do when you catch fish in this game, which it is an open world game. So of course there's fishing. It's a nothing burger. There's no concept to it. It's boring. It contributes very little, but you can also skip it. So we're not going to get into it. But you play the same mini game to catch fish and dodge missiles. I got so confused during that part. And I was really upset because it's a pretty long boss fight. I, I lost like, it was like seven minutes of time that I had to go back because I messed up one quick time event. Why? Just take me back to right before the quick time event. There should never be a point in a video game where a quick time event like actually can screw you over that way. I don't mind it doing a little bit of damage and then it's like, well, if you're low on health, it'll kill you. But I'm supersonic. I'm invincible. You told me I'm invincible. Why does the why do these missiles kill me? There's a lot about this game that's just kind of weird decision making. And I don't think there's any version of Sonic that's not going to have weird decision making like that. But I will say, I still think this one is overall a lot better than most 3D Sonic games. The only one I would say I definitely like more than this one is Sonic Adventure 2. And I haven't played enough of some of the games like Generations and the first Sonic Adventure, which I know were pretty popular. But I will still say I walked away from this game more positive than I ever expected to. Even if I don't think I'm ever actually going to finish this game. <laughs> At least not right now when i have god of war ragnarok to play and pokemon coming out in less than a week you know this game is just not it's not that good <laughs> it's the best sonic game in years it's still a sonic game jackson how, how are you feeling about it overall it's all right the best thing it does is show promise for the future of sonic 
I stand by the score I gave it when uh, we talked about it on the predictions episode. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. get that. And I, I would definitely agree. I think this is probably the first Sonic game in a long time that I've walked away feeling positive about the series in general. Like, it might have somewhere to go from here. Please have somewhere to go from here. <laughs> and I, I do I do have to point out, you know, like, I complained about the cyberspace missions being a lot of, like, remixes of older Sonic levels and paying homage to, like, the classic Sonic games. They're still generally pretty good levels. It's just kind of a minor annoyance that every Sonic game... The, the three past Sonic games that I'm actually going to pretend exist, uh, Mania, Forces, and Generations, are all just nostalgia, <laughs> nostalgia-driven, I guess would be the best way to say it. I mean, yep. Sonic Generations is all reused levels, or at least reused level concepts. Sonic Forces is kind of paying homage to like previous villains and also kind of reuses level concepts from previous games. And then obviously... <laughs> Sonic Mania, I believe, is half just remixed ideas from the original three Sonic games. It's a very... They're good games, except for Sonic Forces. <laughs> like, Sonic <laughs> Generations and, and Sonic Mania are very good games, but it's kind of weird that the franchise is 30 years old, <laughs> and we've just been kind of basking in nostalgia for 15 years. <laughs> Anyways, I would recommend this game if you like uh sonic you know i like this game i didn't love it by any means i do feel like sonic fans will love this game i haven't read enough opinions from actual sonic fans because i don't think sonic fans opinions really make their way into the public space until long after the game comes out for some reason uh like how people are now defending sonic unleashed for some reason i i don't know i do feel like people will like big fans of Sonic will definitely look back on this as one of the the much better ones. Who knows though? Sonic fans are one of the hardest groups of people to pin down in the world. <laughs> as the closest thing as the podcast resident Sonic fan. I can agree with that. I feel less embarrassed to call myself a Sonic fan after this game. That's my final review. <laughs> well, that's already a lot of Sonic talk. But I think that means it's time to pull the plug jackson what else have you been into so i have a destiny 2 thing to talk about for the first time in a while but that uh. doesn't mean i've been playing it <laughs> i have not played destiny 2 in probably like over two weeks at this point but interesting stuff's been going on telesto came alive uh famous game-breaking gun Telesto, a fusion rifle that makes explosive orbs, known for breaking, having tons of bugs that one time, I believe, shut the entire game down for, like, a day, uh, but usually just gets itself disabled or the game severely broken, became sentient. Uh, so this is, this is an interesting one. So, basically, uh... I think the first person to really, like, spot it and people started ta talking about it because of that was uh, Forbes writer Paul Tassi, who covers a bunch of Destiny stuff. Uh, just one day posted, like, hey, Telesto's weird. And basically all the big Destiny streamers and content creators called him out and were like, 
you're overreacting. Nothing is happening. This is probably just like an early uh, change to Telesto that went live. But then Telesto orbs would start floating into the air and the gun was sparkling or like sparking and smoking. And they were like, oh yeah, I guess we were wrong. Uh, they were floating up into the air like constellations. And then the next day, the orbs, whenever they explode, would send void projectiles out everywhere. And they would just like explode more. And then in PvP, it got rid of its... Uh, it's got sort of like a delay function. You shoot an enemy and then like a second later it explodes. That was just gone. So Crucible's been a nightmare. <laughs> the biggest thing though, the Destiny Twitter page was overtaken by Telesto. And it was tweeting as if it was Telesto. And I want to I wanna read you this tweet that Telesto tweeted. <laughs> they call me Telesto. Say it with your chesto. My zest for stress test just Telesto. Conquest this Balesto will soon be Represto. Suggest you rest if you're feeling distressed-o. If you're a guest for this festo, at my behesto, as long as you express I'm the absolute, and then it just says error. And then like an hour later, they tweeted out a uh, emblem for this, and there's been nothing since, and we don't understand why this happened. <laughs> Jason, what have you been up to? Well, since I've spent so much time between... God of War and Sonic Frontiers. Uh, I don't really have too much else to talk about. So I'm just going to take some time to have a little bit of a discussion about Twitter's weird, ain't it? <laughs> for those no, not why? in the know, <laughs> Elon Musk recently purchased Twitter for like $44 billion, uh, taking a out loans against some of his it. other companies, including Twitter itself, from my understanding. Uh, and it's been a roller coaster. And it's so weird because when he first bought it, I mean, my assumption was that nothing would actually change, but a fair amount has changed. Not really in my user experience, but just, um, I think Twitter is finally becoming the hell site that everyone's been calling it for the past decade. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it has been for the past decade. My Twitter's been fine until now. Yeah. I follow cool people that tweet good things, so it's been fine until this point. The big thing that Musk did was, uh, rather than verification badges on Twitter, the blue check mark next to people's names being a mark that someone was, you know, uh, prominent in some way, whether they're a celebrity, a journalist, something like that, uh, it's now, or sorry, for one day, a couple of days ago... <laughs> It was a marker of people that paid $8 for Twitter Blue. And the thing that happened as soon as... Uh, now that anybody can have a verified Twitter account uh, for $8, and it's pretty easy to just like make a spoof credit card and stuff like that, uh, people have just been making parody accounts on Twitter. But since they are verified and the verification looks the same whether you're an actual verified account or whether you paid $8 for Twitter Blue, um, some of the parody accounts have actually made tangible differences in the world. And by that I mean there was one Twitter account, the biggest example that I've seen so far was for uh, Eli Lilly and Company, 
where the parody account tweeted that insulin was free from now on and <laughs> their stock dropped like $20 a share. Yeah. Even though it was not the real them that tweeted it. Like yeah. it was, yeah, it's good stuff. Mario flipped people off. Yeah. Mario flipping people off a Tesla account that kept tweeting about how it's no big deal that Tesla's sometimes <laughs> explode. Uh, that, that one was uh, good yeah that was my favorite one so far yeah, it's crazy it's, how many like advertisers have dropped the platform though because twitter used to be i mean that, that's the only way that twitter really brought in money previously right so i think well, twitter is going to be bankrupt maybe even by the time that this episode drops and that'll be a fun thing to watch happen in real time uh if you don't have a twitter account don't make one but yeah, you now know, is not the time <laughs> Maybe keep an eye on Twitter and the news because uh, it's it's a real interesting roller coaster. It's bad. I need to stress it's bad. It's bad for anybody on Twitter. It's bad for companies not on Twitter. It's bad for people, whether you're on Twitter or not, just in general. But it's so funny watching Elon Musk try to defend his decisions or just be like, haha, you can keep making fun of me, but you gotta pay me $8. It's yeah, like, Twitter's yeah, comedy's legal legal on Twitter now, but uh, you have to put parody in the description of your uh, page. Also, you have to put it in your name. Also, you have to put it in your at. Um, it needs to be very clear your parody because I'm getting tired of you making fun of me. Yeah, I I, I assume the official policy on parody, uh, for Twitter right now is just uh, it's okay as long as it's not making fun of me. It's so funny seeing like all the accounts that got banned, like even with having parody in their uh, in their bio, they they still got like permanently banned for it. I'm just glad that people can finally get a true to life, obvious example of how the billionaire class actually isn't any better than the rest of us. I think I could run Twitter better than this. Uh... Please do it. Oh, the other day, I can't remember exactly what it was, which, sorry, but this is the unscripted loose part of the podcast, so I'm not going to look it up either. The legal department essentially sent out an email uh, to people at Twitter, or people like working at Twitter, that um, something Musk asked them to do was illegal, and that they should uh, use vacation days and not come into work for a while to avoid having to break the law. <laughs> And that's a really good thing for your own legal department to send out. And then Elon Musk's personal lawyer sent out an email to everyone at the company like the same day that was just like, you can't get arrested for anything Elon Musk asks you to do or something like that. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's everything about this is a mess. But the good news is, for Elon Musk at least, that literally no matter how this ends, if he destroys Twitter, if it stays exactly the same, those are the only outcomes. Whichever one it is, everyone that supports him is going to keep supporting him with the exact same fervor they did before and during Twitter. So, for him, nothing matters. <laughs> so, that's fun. It is very funny seeing people try to defend him after some of the stupid stuff he's done at Twitter. Like, there was the official badge that was available for, like, one hour on two separate days. <laughs> no, no, that's still, there is still the official badge. That's still there. It just, for some reason, is only on certain accounts. Okay, so the official badge, they added it the first day. Or not, not like, the first day. They added, it like, the middle of the week last week. And then it was only available for, like, an hour and a half. And then they completely took it away. 
and then they added it back in just a couple of days ago, but then took it away for most users. Yeah. So it's still there for some people, like Jackson said, but most people that had the verified badge only had it for maybe a combined four hours. And I think they've already disabled the regular Twitter blue thing where you just pay $8 for regular checkmark thing i think even that's gone yeah right that, that's now. gone like not so, even it's not even just the eight dollar checkmark is gone you can't get twitter blue at all right now yeah which granted twitter blue is dumb uh but twitter blue or whatever it was previously it was still called twitter blue it was just yeah $5 i thought so you could edit I, tweets i mean i think that makes sense for like brand accounts and stuff like that so they can edit their tweets Having it tied to your verification when it's such a low cost is not a very good idea. I mean, you got to realize, I mean, I mentioned the thing with Eli, or not Eli Whitney, Eli Lilly and company, like someone spent $8 and tangibly affected the stock price of a company. Yeah. It's good stuff. (laughs) Uh, See, what I'm really expecting, though, is everything will just be like it was before. And I, I think it's going to go out of business. I I thought I everything well. was going to go back to the way it was before, and then the past couple of days happened, and now I think it's going to go out of business. Don't worry. If it does, it'll actually be a good thing somehow, according to Elon Musk and his base. But that's enough Twitter talk. Jordan, what you been up to? Have you actually played a game this week? Because neither of us did. <laughs> I'm going to take us back to our roots and talk about a video game for a couple minutes. Um... I am going to keep it brief, though, because this is not a game that's going to apply to a ton of people. So I really, really like roguelikes. That's one of my main things you can count on with video games is if it's like a roguelite platformer, hack and slash, even card game, I'm into it. So a couple years ago, I saw Rogue Legacy, a game I'd never played was on a huge sale. And I was just like, this game is really popular. It's like the progenitor, I think is the word, progenitor. Uh, to a lot of the modern roguelites I really love. Like, I gotta give this a shot. And I didn't hate it, but I definitely did not see the appeal. I do have to point out, Rogue Legacy is, like, inspired by Rogue. But the the, the game that that genre comes from was just called Rogue. No, no, I know that. I mean, oh, okay. like, Rogue Legacy is specifically, like, what opened the floodgates to so many roguelikes today, though. There were not games like that for a very long stretch between Rogue and Rogue Legacy, and now there are a lot of them. I couldn't vibe with it at all. Like it was just the progression hooks didn't didn't reel me in, and I don't think the minute minute gameplay was that great. But I watched some gameplay and read some reviews of Rogue Legacy two back when it hit 1.0 earlier this year, and like was really interested but was skeptical. So I didn't pick it up at the time, but it just launched on Switch this last week, uh, like a surprise drop situation. So I picked it up a couple days ago, and, oh, it is so good. Everything about it is exactly what I wanted it to be pretty much from the minute you start. Conceptually, it's very, very simple. You play as a knight, there are some bad guys in a castle, and you gotta kill them. That's basically as much as you need to know. And if unless you're reading like logs and stuff around the castle, that's all there is to the story that's prominently told to you. But its main hook 
is that every time you die, you come back as one of your previous character's children. And specifically, you pick from one of their children, and each one will have a different weapon, a different spell, a different special ability, and then some passive perks. And you basically have to pick one of three characters with all that information laid out beforehand, but you can't pick and choose any of it. So, like, you know, you might play as a knight, and then when they die, you know, they might have a kid that's a a wizard, and one that's an archer, and one that's, like, a barbarian, and those each have their own weapons and styles, and they'll also have, like, different passive perks and all that stuff, and you keep progressing, and you go further and further down this lineage, but every time you carry over the money from your previous run, which you can use to upgrade your family home, and the more you upgrade your family home, the better trained the next generation will be. So as you build up this castle with better resources, your characters will be stronger and have more health and have more abilities and all that stuff. And it all just loops together really, really well. Each each run feels great. The platform is, is exceptional. The combat's fantastic. All of it's really, really good, but also it has this very natural sense of every run is contributing something, no matter how poorly it goes. And sometimes you can take really big risks that work in really weird ways. Like some of the passive skills will make it significantly harder for you, but give you more resources in exchange. Um, There are some very normal ones like one hit wonder. You get double the gold, but you die on a single hit. You, you just have one HP no matter what. And then there's like weird ones like color blindness that gives you 25% more gold, but everything's in grayscale. Or there's one where your character is vegan, which gives you like 50% more gold. And picking up meat takes away health instead of gives it to you. It's, it's very weird stuff like that. And it, it all fits together really, really well, though. It has really, really good platforming, really good combat, and really good progression hooks, which are pretty much all you need to succeed in the rogue the rogue genre. <laughs> so I, I like it a lot so far. I'm only, I think I've beaten three of the five bosses, but my understanding, this is one of those games that doesn't really come alive until you beat it for the first time. So who knows how I'll feel about it once I'm much deeper into it, but... I'm liking it a whole lot so far, even as someone that really didn't care for the first one. So if you like those kind of games, give it a shot. But this is not, if you really dislike roguelikes, this is not the one that's going to turn it around for you by any stretch. But that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to contact us, there are several ways we would love for you to do that. First, on Twitter, at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram at Totally Biased Media. Third, via email at totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. We would love for you to send us your reviews, your suggestions for the show, anything you want to tell us about the show or any games coming out or really anything. Please send it to any one of those three. We would love to hear it. We, we promise we will engage however we, we can. We also stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia. We try to stream at least once every other week, but we are trying to get that number up in the future. So if there are specific games or times or anything you want us to do via Twitch, we would love to hear it. We would love to work in some of your suggestions. If you are already a fan of our Twitch, you will see us streaming God of War Ragnarok in one week. 
should be a good time. It's a heck of a game. We're also going to have our full podcast episode coming out in two weeks. Uh, spoilers, it's good. <laughs> um, and, hey, uh, we hey, are... spoilers, it starts good. Yeah. We don't know. Maybe the ending drops the ball. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah. So if you want to hear about God of War Ragnarok, there are going to be ample opportunities to do so in the near future. If you want to hear about God of War Ragnarok... Might I direct you to, like, minute eight of this podcast? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next time next time we're going to be talking about God of War Ragnarok, and we're just going to be like, it was good, but I wish I was playing Sonic Frontiers. <laughs> I was sitting here the whole time playing God of War Ragnarok, and I was thinking, man, I wish I was playing Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walker. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.